Welcome to Game Changing Leadership. In this podcast, we will highlight interesting profiles and hear their thoughts and experiences of game changers. What do they do differently and what can we learn from them? My name is Marlene Greva and with me I have my co-host Siri Bösche. Technology is pushing the boundaries of what is humanly possible. Whether we're talking about autonomous cars, iPhones becoming wallets, high-speed internet and having the world just a few clicks away. But by 2025, we estimate that there will be over 50 billion smart connected devices in the world. Many are operationalized through for instance 5G net. So with this exponential development potential that we have of both services and software, how are we utilizing this in the best way possible? To help us explore game-changing technologies, Siri and I are joined by Annelise Wall, co-CEO and CTO of Atensi, and Laila Danielsen, CEO of Elliptic Labs. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So, Annelise, what is your game-changing technology? So we are on a mission to disrupt corporate training, actually, by using game technology. And by game technology, I mean the same technology as in Fortnite, in Candy Crush, and in in World of Warcraft, combined with deep insight into behavioral psychology and science to empower organizations to to engage their workforce and to train them in a much more fun and engaging way. Can you tell us more about how you do that? Yeah, so for example, you are newly hired in Circle K to work in the gas station in the fuel and retail. And even before you have had your first workday, you get an SMS and it's asking you to play a simulation, a, a game basically. And you click a link and you open this game which is a 3D simulation. It looks like being in Mass Effect or being in like any other 3D game, Fortnite, except you're in a gas station and there's customers in a line, there's coffee to make, there's hot dogs to be served. And you have to deal with your everyday work tasks in a stressful environment before even set your foot as an employee into the gas station in the real world. So that reminds me, Alanis, so when we were actually in DMB for a brief second together, that's probably the first time I actually met you. Um, and I was very astonished by the fact that you use this technology of yours to not only test and trial the customer service on how to conduct customer service the best possible way, but you also tested my ability to do this at a pace that was um, very high. So you could test how many of these callers could I actually cope with at the same time and how long would it take before me as a customer would actually hang up because you didn't reply to me quick enough. Exactly. And also the tone of voice that you used to meet the different type of customers. So how would you talk to an angry customer versus a slow customer or a very happy customer? So we track immense amounts of data in the simulations. If you compare a e-learning course, which is the traditional way, we, we could capture hundreds or thousands of more data points in the training compared to traditional learning. And this gives us 
massive potential to track the impact, not only in the learning course, but also how you actually do in, in the real world. Because in DNB, do they get more happy customers? In the Circle K gas station, do they sell more? And then it's three crucial questions that you could answer yes to in the Circle K example, at least. Is the employee more prepared entering his first day? Absolutely, yes. And does the manager know that he is prepared and ready to start? Yes. And then can we measure that he is actually more effective on day one? Yes. So, I mean, the math is simple. So that gives me great comfort knowing that uh, we are able and capable of actually utilizing this gaming technology to train sort of customer facing. Um, I, I see that value of doing that. But I'm curious, do this also stretch to other verticals? So, for instance, in the health space, are you operating there as well? So absolutely. So we're both into training workforce processes in, in hospital as well as uh whole range of programs in the mental health care sector. So, yeah. Very interesting. We're going to get back to to more about um, what Atensi is uh, doing and the type of um, psychology that drives your innovation. But we have another guest with us today. Laila, uh, you have also a a type of technology that uh, we are very curious about. Can you can you tell me a little bit about what uh, elliptic labs are doing? Yeah, uh, you mentioned here initially that uh, by 2025 is going to be about 50 billion devices connected to the internet, and our focus is that we have a platform to make all those devices smarter. And how we are starting out doing that is that we are using ultrasound and artificial intelligence to detect the uh, new surroundings. So you also talked a little bit about impact uh, globally on the world. So one thing that is important for these connected devices is uh, to sense when they should be on and when they should be off. Because um, all the connected uh, devices uh, use a lot of power. Right. And particularly when you aggregate the number and into billions, you're talking about an enormous amount of uh, power consumption on a global level. Uh, and the simplest way to sort of keep the planet turned on is to turn off these devices when they're not in use. So that's uh, that's our ultimate goal to get in, into as many connected devices as possible. We started out targeting uh, smartphones and it's the same principle. We're turning off and on displays uh, when you're not using it or when you are making a phone call. Or for example, um, we are now recently signed a contract with a smart fridge provider that has a huge display in front of the fridge. So when you walk up to the fridge, the display turns on and when you walk away, it turns off. That's the basic principle that we can provide on onto all devices. Um, and I mentioned that we are using, uh, or maybe I didn't, but we are using ultrasound as part of the technology. And ultrasound is simply sound, but it's not audible sound. It's uh, how, for example, bats navigate. Um, so it's uh, it's above, above the hearing range for, for human beings. So how it works is that if you have any device that has a speaker and a microphone, uh, a speaker will send out the ultrasound signal, it will bounce off your body, your hand, your head. And the ultrasound goes back, the microphone listens to it, and then our technology say, turn off this display or turn it on. Or I can say, hey, how many people are in the room? Or if I want to do a little gesture with a hand, let's say, and swipe to the right, from right to the left, I can decide that 
that's going to mean that you're going to turn up the volume on a device. That's the sort of the fundamental of our technology. So you mentioned uh, typical consumer goods from the consumer world perspective, but I'm also thinking immediately about the health perspective here when we think about all of the devices that are available today mm. for people with various diseases and they carry, they, they walk around with all of these sort of built-in body equipment. Yeah, it's not just on health. I, I'm, I'm also personally also quite interested uh, around um, around farming, for example, how to um, optimize the farming industry uh, because it's all, right now we use, we use ultrasound, but our technology can also support other type of sensors to make any type of, I'm talking about any type of devices more intelligent. So if you're on farming, making sure that you have the right soil, enough water, uh, etc. So uh, yeah, healthcare is is one aspect of it. Of course, with COVID here, one of the things that we can deliver is touch-free uh, interaction with various devices. So tell us more about that. Which type of, um, where do we do we see your technology in use today? Yeah. So right now you see it in and we have started uh, in on in the smartphone market and now we are uh, moving towards the laptop market and the reason for uh, because we are focused on building a platform that can scale to billions. The easiest way to start to building that platform is to focus on markets that has few customers with high volumes. And that's how you sort of build your technology and can test it out so it's scalable. When you work in the, um, and so that's so smartphone, uh, laptop, smart TV, and smart fridge. Those are the sort of the easy ones to. It's not easy, but easier to go after. When it comes to all these other connected devices, and you mentioned two quick verticals, now healthcare and, and, and the farming industry, you have smaller number of devices uh, that there are lots of companies that are using. So it's harder to support as a company. So you have to build a platform that really can scale. And right now we are on hundreds of millions of devices, and we are now moving into these new markets. But that's been taking some t- some time. So you talk about a platform mm-hmm. as a sort of a, a starting point, yeah. and then you're saying that it's very difficult to cater for all of the the smart devices um, that are out there. What does this platform consist of? So basically, so our we you know what you have a you have a platform, and of course, core that is machine learning, core that is sig- signal signal processing. And you have, of course, software. But the key is that we, what we do, we have lots of different type of, for example, for ultrasound, you use microphone and speakers. We also use other sensors that is on a device. It can be a gyro, accelerometer, it can be a radar sensor. And you aggregate that data, the data output from all these sensors. And then you sort of, you can fuse this, this data together. How did you discover that this technology could be used for these things that you're using it for today? Was that like it probably started with R&D? And then how did you understand how to commercialize it and where to bring it? So Elliptic Labs is a spin-off of Oslo University. Uh, And when I joined the company, it was a a set of about eight uh, sort of deep signal processing research engineers that has had a some principle that with ultrasound over there, we can do something. Uh, and of course, from the R&D uh, in a lab co- to commercial is two completely different things. Uh, at that point, you know, in a lab, you might use 
lots of physical sensors to put in to be able to deliver some theory mm-hmm. till something that you can massively scale. And um, and so to me, it was sort of just looking at the principle. I really like deep technology and complex technology. I find that fascinating. And uh, and what we started or was what we started doing was that we did analysis of the market. And I come from, my background is software and my background is software platforms. And also um, looking at other industry, for example, one of the companies that we sold to VMware, which is a virtualization company, was to get more out of the hardware. Mm-hmm. And to me was doing analysis out in the market and figure out, is there something out in the market that I can place with our technology? Like, can I place some, a physical sensor of some shape or form and replace that with software only to deliver a functionality? And if I can do that, can I also deliver something addition to what a physical sensor can do? that I'm going to replace. So that was the principle. And that's how we, we started sort of, like, oh, we can, we can actually replace a physical infrared sensor that is being manufactured 1.6 billion of every single year. We can replace that with just software. And then now I look at other markets. Yes, you know, we can sometimes we replace sensor, sensor, sensors and sometimes we use that sensor plus other things to make the device even smarter. And, and that's how we, so the fundamental was like, how can we maximize of what is already on device and how can we even start removing some of the physical components that's on the device? And then you started doing analysis. And then from there, okay, you fly to China, you fly to South Korea, you fly to Japan, you knock on people's doors and then you're like, ni hama, and then you try to figure out what it takes to get the, to get the technology into into production. So you are helping people around the world with this. That sounds so brilliant. But Annalisa, was that the same way that you did it or did you do the opposite? Did you have this idea that you wanted to improve learning and then you found the technology? So, yes, uh, <laughs> I'm not one of the founders of Atensi, but uh, the founders of Atensi had the exact same idea. So uh, I worked together with one of the founders in Funcom, which is a... Uh, one of or the biggest uh, game developer in Norway. And both our founders had the same vision. So how to use game technology and 3D simulation to improve training, to make training fun, but also realistic and also measurable so you can actually track the impact. So yes, it was the same kind of uh, background for founding Atensi. But it has that developed as well, not just for the learning, um, but also into other new industries that you didn't think of at the beginning? Oh, absolutely. So one of the founders, he started with the, the thought of this would be perfect for retail because you can easily make a 3D version of any store. So they started with Jarnia, which is a hardware store in Norway and made all the pots and pans and painting, which is in Jarnia and the customers coming in. And then the other founder had more of a industry background. So thinking about oil and gas, um, other industries where, of course, being able to visualize and work in the realistic setting is, is crucial, like being on an oil platform, for instance. So those two were the two big sectors that we started in. And now we're, I mean, we also develop a platform like Laila talks about. So we have a cloud platform and a what is called a no-code tool set, meaning that anyone can develop our games without having to program. And then we're now used in any or 
all sectors from health, bank and finance, industry. But is it used in education? Uh, yes, it's used uh, actually by nurses uh, to train on the anatomy of the body. We're not used in, in like um, kids schools, but we're used in the university and the high school level. So uh, absolutely, yeah. As we started out with um, technology, can it improve health or not? How have you seen this actually work in your line of business? I mean, best and probably most meaningful projects that we've done recently is together with UNICEF, Red Cross and uh, a psychologist named Solfrid Raknes. It's a project called Happy Helping Hand. It's about giving kids a language to talk about emotions. So in Norway, this concept is known as psychological first aid, psychologisk förstjärn, and it talks about red and green emotions. And we made an app together with Solfrid Raknes and together with all of these um, Red Cross and UNICEF. And it's now rolled out in Arabic in refugee camps in, in Lebanon. So Syrian refugees. And they actually have a smartphone, which is brilliant. So one family in a shelter in a refugee camp, they own and they share a smartphone. And they sit there with a lim- limited bandwidth and they can play. And they can play this happy helping hand game to talk about trauma and experiences they've had in their home country. And that's like one of the, yeah. This is the same as one has been in, in the schools in Norway where they talk about green and, and, and red feelings. Yeah, it's the same concept and now translated to English and Arabic in a game. But I, I, yeah, I think it's very fascinating because we were talking about, I don't have the app though, maybe I should, but you know um, how easy it is to go into these red negative uh, emotions all the time when you think negatively about a comment or what people have said. And then instead you should uh, train your brain to think positive thoughts. I was really fascinated about what you said, Lila, about how you can use these senses, how you are, how you're moving from physical, actual things into software. Obviously, just by doing that, you're saving the planet for quite a bit. But how how else do we see the sort of the consequences of your technology? You know, as as Lisa is talking about, you know, sort of the end user. Uh, you know, we we go on the lower level and sort of empowering the various devices to be talking about VR, AR, uh, and it's about interaction with uh, various devices. I, I'm going to get to your point, <laughs> but uh, but the the key is is that if you can have, um, it's not about just just replacing uh, hardware sensors. As I said, we also use uh, sensors that are on the device for various purpose. But it's it's once again is to maximize. So, for example, let's say if you use um, a radar sensor. Because we have this under this platform, and we have this expertise in signal processing, and we are able to drag collect data out from microphones and speakers to do phenomenal things. We can use the same a lot of the underlying principles and aggregate data from a radar sensor, and we can detect, for example, your heartbeat or if you're breathing. This is something that we see in automotive industry, uh, where uh, cars in the future, near future, is has to have the ability to detect that is that is a children a child present in the car because unfortunately people are throwing the kids in the back seat and forget about them and they die of heat stroke etc so there's 
and and I think also this 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 principles of being having the ability to detect uh, people's heartbeat and breathing can also be used in in houses uh, in your various devices that you have. Once again, we talked about fifty billion connected devices. A lot of these, the average user is going to have about 45 to 50 uh, devices at home. If that can detect that, hey, now it's time to, to go and see the doctor or you are under stress or even if you you track somebody that's been falling and, and or... Now it's getting interesting because this is, uh, imagine that you are all the, all the, all of our elderly people, right? Mm. Um, obviously, it's much more cost efficient for the Norwegian state, the Swedish state, the, any state, mm. to have people living at their own homes as long as possible. Mm. Um, and obviously everyone has a mobile phone or some sort of device that can, that it seems like all technology can be sort of uh, implemented into. Do you think, however, that we're interested in this? Will we as human beings sort of give away that type of acceptance? Because it's a privacy matter as well, yeah, isn't ab- it? Absolutely. I think this is a brilliant point. And uh, for example, with, with ultrasound, because it's sound, one, one thing I, I really liked about the technology was that it's it's not a camera. So if I can detect that somebody's moving around without actually seeing you, it's quite different. I can't even hear you because ultrasound, it's not audible. Hmm. It's, it, it's a completely different frequency. So I can't see you, I can't hear you, I cannot hear you. I can just detect you. I won't touch you, but I can detect that you are around or you're moving. And I think it's uh, the privacy is always, I mean, that's a very complex matter. But you also see when during COVID, people are much more open to to sharing certain information about themselves because it's, it's a matter of life and death. Like even, you know, to tracking where you are, who you've been touching, who you've been interacting with, because you might harm other people by the spread of COVID. So I think to a certain level, and depending who is tracking that data, there's a lot of, of course, the big players in the market, the the big leaders in the market, the Google and the Amazons and the, you know, the all the known, the Microsoft, the, the all the known players in the market, they're, of course, putting... Uh, and of course, a lot of these things are being regulated more and more, but they're putting uh, various devices all the way from smoke detector to smart speakers that is detecting and listening to you. But I, I'm also talking about, for example, like in the US, you have what we're calling like the HIPAA compliance, different re- regulation of what information like doctors can op- keep, uh, what type of records they can keep and how they're going to handle those type of records. Um, I don't know what this result will be but uh, I can say that if you knew that uh, that, like say your your heartbeat or your health was was collected by your doctor in a private secure matter for emergency reason in case you get a heart attack then you know it's it's a balancing act but it is uh, it is also scary about the whole whole privacy of course that People will feel like they've been watched absolutely twenty four seven. But I think one of the one of the core problems with IoT today, so Internet of Things, all the sensor management, the data management mm-hmm. of those sensors, is number one that they are not um, they actually don't fit together. So you can have uh, if you are at home and you are you are depending on various types of of uh, aids, then they do not talk with each other. So having sort of one 
on, on the one hand, a platform that can actually manage mm. that discussion of those uh, devices mm. is one thing. And, um, and then on the other hand, who will then have access to that data? Mm. Uh, me as a relative wanting to take care of mm. my own parents or, or making sure that they are, are sound and healthy mm. um, is one thing. And that their doctors and a society as a whole can, from a health perspective, take care of them. Probably a bit more skeptical when it comes to giving the private companies that same mm-hmm. amount of data or or access to to that. Even though you would say, you, that would it's you a, be if it could save your parents from dying? Well, again, again, so, so who it's, would it's, actually it, get that exactly? Uh, but it, it's sort of. I am not saying what is right or wrong here. I'm just. It's, it's more like a. It's a. It's a bal- for sure a balancing act. And of course, uh, you want trusted. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see because of the all the the, the governments here. Uh, ha- you know, have to come in. Would I mean Europe has done a better job? I would say or come a little bit further, probably, but than the U.S. regulation. In but how at the to same time, without the companies, Asia with China. yeah, and, and and without the companies such as yours, mm-hmm. how would we even get, get there? Yeah. So that's my sort of that's the dilemma. Mm-hmm. If we don't have uh, uh, companies that um, have that extreme drive yeah. that you're representing, how would we ever even have this discussion? Yeah, I have to say we we don't collect any data. We are just an enabler of making sensors more intelligent or creating interoperability between sensors that gets put into devices. So we don't then buy. So we don't collect data. So for example, let's say when you put your a device or or when you buy the device, for example, like uh, let's say I'm selling you an Apple device. Uh, not I, but Apple sells you a device. They are the one that collecting the data. We we as an underlying uh, you know, virtual smart sensor platform provider, we don't collect any da- data at all. We just we just have different type of sensors where they can collect, for example, the way you're moving or the way you're falling. So you, you provide the technology and they develop um, for us and commercialize it. When you are using your Apple or your Huawei or your Xiaomi or your Samsung uh, uh, smartphone, when you... Uh, uh, start your phone you accept certain yeah. uh, a license agreement that you click on mm. and in that they talk about various uh, privacy matter it's the same as when you go into a website these days you know like what cookies are they tracking and so forth mm. it's the same principle so we don't we don't as a company we don't we're just making these sensors so you can make the smarter devices by tracking mm-hmm. by uh, detecting what's around you but we don't collect the data Annalisa, do you see any um, future collaboration between uh, the technology that uh, that Lila is representing and your own company? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I, I watched the company from from the market uh, for for a long time. And um, as we are pushing the the envelope on, on corporate training, as you mentioned earlier, uh, virtual reality and augmented reality is most likely one of the next technologies to disrupt big time. And one of the biggest problems with especially virtual reality using the glasses and everything is uh, precision. Mm. Precision, so let's say you're a nurse 
and you're training on something that would require, let's say, stitching, stitching up a wound, which would require extreme precision of where and how you use your fingers. So there's a lot, uh, lots of companies making these surgeon robots, but to be able to do this in like bigger and more generic use cases, you would need more precision on how to use and trace your fingers in this virtual reality scenario. And that's something I would assume, not knowing the technology good enough, but ultrasound could, could play a part, of course. But also, I mean, yeah, there's lots of cases. Yeah, even if it wasn't ultrasound, there are other technologies that can uh, deliver more precise, I mean, over time, more precise uh, uh, tracking um mm. as as we see and it's a that's a big market absolutely um, it's, a, it's i mean it's a huge market so when you talk about time what are we talking about in we talk about two years five years ten years how long will it take before this is actually a because I, I i i obviously we can all see that potential that you were referring to right now that we we do need that precision to a much higher degree and that with the use of the hands as a tool of, of um, resembling an activity that you are trying to rehearse or, or practice on. There's several companies uh, that is uh, truly focusing in uh, imaging, uh, gesturing. Uh, you have uh, Magic Leap uh, that, with, that you probably know no, uh, yeah. that has spent, uh, received billions in funding that is just working on it. And it, but it's still, it's very much, uh, it is in, in the future for that level of precision, I would, I would say, uh, particular if you're going to enable it almost, I guess, a consumer, not, no, I'm not talking about in a factory, but as, as you were talking about around the VR, and then you have the whole, um, technology around the VR, which is still fairly immature for the level, once again, that you're talking about that you have to reach. But like, like, what do you think is like the, the dream end game for your technology? The end game is to, to get into as many uh, devices as, as possible and have this dramatic impact on, on uh, you know, you know, I, I talk about consumer electronic, but I'm also very inter interested in the industrial aspect of it. And I'm talking about, you know, farming and talking about healthcare. So what do we see as end customers on? What's the result of that? It's very simple on the smartphone. Um, when you use your smartphone and the phone rings, the display turns on, yeah? And then you take the phone up to your head to answer the phone and display turns off. So when you are then accidentally touching the display with your face, you don't turn off the phone and hang up the call. For, th for that, it's a physical sensor. And every single smartphone in the world has that sensor. That was the first one we replaced. Very simple. How do you make money on this? Do you, <laughs> do you charge per, 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 per unit? Per unit? You, yes, yeah, yeah. You charge per unit. And, and also per physical sensor you're removing? So we uh, remove the physical sensor. So let's say that sensor costs like, let's say 20 crowns. So we are saying, okay, you remove that one and then you can buy ours for 10 crowns, for example. Then you, you uh, save money on that. That's the, the one, the, sim the most simple thing. This is what I'm talking about, like turning things off and on. And when you look at all these devices that are, you know, in the future, it's going to be 50 billion to go in there with a physical sensor because these devices are going to be very, very cheap. 
to solve that with software is the absolutely best solution. And then we can do more. We can also do like gestures. We can also make it more advanced. If you want to have another sensor, we can detect your heartbeat, your breathing. So it's like either detect your whole body, your hands, the way you're moving, are you falling? So there's, there's a slew of things that we can detect. But, but how do you do that? Like, how can you see my, my heartbeat with my with the phone or with the watch or what do I need? Or is it only in my house? Like, how do you do that? So if, uh, what we do for, uh, for detecting heartbeats, uh, right now we're using, uh, we partner with a company. And uh, these are large enterprises like Affinian and Texas Instrument. They have radar sensors. And that can be, for example, integrated into a dashboard in, dashboard in a car, or we could be integrated in a, in a laptop or a speaker. And when you sit in front of it, we can, you can, I should have brought a demo. You can sit in front of it, you can plug it in, and I can see, uh, I can literally see your heart rate. So it sends uh, signals out and we can detect when you're... So that's more for replacing the, the doctor in a sense, but not in your house for me to make sure that I have a, a steady and stable heart rate uh, throughout the day. So the use cases for detecting uh, a heart rate or even detecting your breathing, I mean, one, it's a regulation, uh, the, the EU ANCAP, there you go, the EU ANCAP in automotive require that in, by 2022, the cars to get a five-star rating needs to be able to detect, as I mentioned earlier, that the, a child is, is breathing. So this is actually the other way around, though. We are always uh, talking about the regulations uh, you know, being uh, lagging behind the technology available, but this is actually driving technology. Yeah, this, this is driving the technology. So the so that's one aspect of any automotive industry that you can detect or that need to have the ability to detect the heartbeat or breathing. Breathing is actually good enough to to get approval for the five star rating. I can actually give you a, an example from a project we're working on doing exactly that, working with teenagers with social anxiety. Uh, we're using this R&D, uh, it's a wristband, it's called uh, Empatica, and it has a bunch of different sensors, not only the pulse that you have in, in training watches, but it detects also your skin connectivity and a lot of other parameters. And we can actually then, in a treatment program, which is gamified, that we make together with Haukeland Hospital, you can actually then tell if the teenager, the anxiety, uh, of the teenager becomes better or worse in a given scenario. So you're put in a classroom to to read Ibsen, which is you know quite complex lyrics in in front of an animated classroom, which is which are teenagers. They're yawning, they're making faces. Some of them are leaving, and your biggest fear is to speak up because you have public speaking fear. And then you can train in this virtual classroom with your wristband measuring all of these. Uh, heart conditions uh, and uh, sweating and everything. And we can actually then treat you together with a therapist to see if you become better. And the exposure training proves that you're ex exposure therapy. So it works. But I'm just interested, Annelisa, how do you get these um, ideas? Do uh, companies come to you or do you have an innovation lab that um, sort of uh, uh, tries to figure out new things and new ways to use your technology? So it's both, but primarily the first, so that uh, especially in the healthcare sector, um, we're constantly being challenged and addressed 
by the biggest hospitals and institutions in Norway and also um, beyond to to test like we've done social training for for young adults with Asperger, for instance. We've also done post-traumatic stress uh, training. So we've done lots of different research programs, both with mobile apps, but also with uh, VR and, and AR applications. So we have a bunch of clinical psychologists working in-house who then ally and work together with uh, psychologists and therapists at the, at the customer organization. So we have at all times running, I'd say somewhere between two and five R&D projects to, to push the boundaries at all times. It sounds to me like this is a, we're still in the early childhood of this, both the use of the technology and the ways that uh, we are inflicting all of our lives, uh, whether we're working in a company or in a hospital. How, how fast is this moving? Fast, I'd say. I mean, both in terms of training becoming digital, because what we do now today as, as corporate learning is classroom training, it's e-learning, it's video training. And if anything, this pandemic has really pushed forward. It's the need for digital training. So um, we're seeing a big shift now. We've seen it like slow paced over a few years, but now it's really, really increasing. And if you also combine with, I mean, I think 80% of content uh, on the internet today is consumed on mobile. You need that possibility to have your learning content also, I mean, distributed not only on your PC, like the old e-learning, but it needs to be available and persistent on any device. So you can tap in and out on your same curriculum, regardless of device, time, place. It's what the millennials and the kids expect today. So they would expect the same from, from you as an employer. So what do you see if we go five years down the lane, if we're in 2025, where are we at? Where should we be at? We should be at, I think today, digital training is 30% of all training and the rest is like classroom and, and man-to-man training. I'm hoping we're seeing the opposite. I'm hoping digital training is two-thirds and then the rest is, is manual training, of course. I'm hoping we see finally the use of AR and VR and also other assisting technologies like voice recognition like gesturing that we talked about, and also streaming to become uh, enablers of new training formats. Because what you were talking about isn't just me uh, being on my device, whatever that is, and I'm doing a sort of regular sort of uh, fancy, fancy version of e-learning. It's a very different type of training altogether that you're talking about. Um, how how big is that uptake today? So you say that Corona has changed this a little bit, but how big is that uptake really today? And where should it be today? It's time to disrupt, basically. So, I mean, e-learning is a thing of the past. And now all the engaging and forward-thinking formats, like not only games, but also other engagement platforms, needs to be, uh, I mean, on top of mind of all executives out there. I was just wondering, why isn't it already? I'd ask the same. <laughs> and I think we see now after or in COVID when everybody has their workforce distributed at home and you're not even seeing them face to face. You need something which is not only the 
the curriculum that you have to do. You have to also have something that motivates them, that gives them a purpose. And I mean, why should you go into Starbucks and make those sandwiches and coffee every day? How does you as an employer care about your workforce? You need to show them that, I mean, here is something I really like you to train on and become better at and compete with and socialize. So you really need to meet uh, the workforce where they're used to be in their social life, which is like here, now, anytime, anywhere, any device. So rounding up this episode, we're going to have a walk around the table when it comes to um, if you have any learnings of this discussion that we had today. Sidi, let's start with you this time. Well, I think that what I'm left with is, um, and that inspires me, is that there are endless opportunities here. Um, and, and there are also extremely early days. And I think that is what I find um very sort of that's what brings the passion for for my own role in technology and and the fact that we can actually improve people's lives dramatically in the future as long as we make sure that we have that as um, the core of what we want to do. Annalisa, any last reflections from your side? I'm I'm very curious and fascinated by how Lila explains their technology touching upon the whole privacy of the sensors since they capture movement but not through cameras or or other sensors and I think that's going to be one of the core dilemmas going forward what is the truth I mean we have fake news we have this deep fake rendering technology everyone can can mimic Trump in a video clip and uh, what is the truth? That's a big question, but uh, someone's got to solve it. Is it going to be blockchain sensors? Yeah, some kind of tech is going to come and disrupt the truth. Laila? Yeah, I think that, I mean, we have touched upon it here, but the fact that we have unlimited set of technologies, but how do we, it's back to how do we ensure that we are using that technology as a starting point for good? We're talking about fake news. We're seeing example here with education or gamification of teaching and education here that it can be used for good. Uh, but and then we're also talking about the. We talked about data. Who has your data and your truly sensitive data? You be comfortable with your doctor having your sensitive data about your health and your parents, but would you be? comfortable if you had these private companies but then again you need some of the private company companies to disrupt to enable to deliver you know this this protective type of of capability so you know who's going to own the data and what are you going to do with it so i think it's a it's a it's a tough uh, question but uh I think as leaders, uh, we all have to go, we, we can all in this room be part of impacting uh, how we're using the technology. So at least at least as we are um, ensuring that we are leading the companies in using technology with integrity and making sure that we can influence everybody else that we are touching, uh, maybe we'll be able to accomplish using technology for the greater good, huh? 
And with that, we round up this episode of Game Changing Leadership. Thank you so much to Lila and uh, Annalisa who have been with us today. And of course, to my co-host, Siri. And to you as well, Mylena, and to all the listeners. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Game Changing Leadership, a podcast brought to you by Oslo Business Forum. We hope you enjoyed it. Share the podcast if you found it valuable. And be sure to listen to our next episode if you want to discover more about game changers and what we can learn from them.